Hello, my name is Chris White and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Today we're going back in the time machine to February of the year 2002 to bring you all the coverage of the WWF on the road to WrestleMania 18. Joining me for one of the more uh, newsworthy months of this project, we have the excellent uh, Daniel DeWitt. Daniel, how are we doing? I'm good, thank you. Not too bad at all. Yeah, looking forward to, to talking about this one, as you say, on the road to WrestleMania. So hopefully there's a nice... Uh, bunch of stuff we can talk about yes to this and then to WrestleMania itself a uh, little peek behind the curtain for you dear listener this month this is in fact the second time that <laughs> me and Dan have, have looked back to February 2002 and uh, due to some technical issues post the entire show being recorded the full audio file was completely lost uh, so Dan thanks very much for agreeing to come back a second time but at least awesome. we've got a lot to talk about it's not if it was a dull month it would be a lot worse at least very true things. yeah very true let's say how to do it again enjoy, enjoyed the first time why not enjoy, do it again it was that good but yeah at least at least to say at least it wasn't sort of in the horror days of WCW 2000 I'm not sure I could have, could have sat through one of those again <laughs> as enjoyable as it was to record and and, and cover them with with Rory and others actually having to go th- talk about them again might not have been as fun but uh, this this will be fun yeah there's only so many times you can say that was shit <laughs> but uh, as previously mentioned uh, we do have quite the newsworthy month in terms of the WWF I suppose well no need to sort of quantify it like that anyway the the only game in town these days um but we had uh, a a pretty big thing in terms of like the history of this podcast i suppose um as we've had the debut of the nwo in the wwf who thought we'd ever see that um but we'll get into all the uh happenings um and sort of surrounding uh details around that as well as a full review of the uh, no way out pay-per-view um but just to kick things off i suppose before we get into pay-per-view and tv coverage um some more backstage details have emerged around the signings of hulk hogan kevin nash and scott hall um so we'll go through those now and um sort of break down what we think this means sort of behind the scenes um all three men signed two-year contracts uh many of the top guys are currently in the uh, WWF have been told that uh, none of Hogan, Hall or Nash are they're, that they're not being brought in to be top stars um, and that they're sort of positions of the card of people like Steve Austin, Triple H, The Rock. None of those are in jeopardy. Um, 
these guys are here to sort of be part-timers used for short matches or sort short programs um to heat up angles ahead of big pay-per-views but understandably backstage the mood is said to be one of, of wariness really and sort of caution um things were certainly exacerbated early in the month um after it took I'm sad to say almost no time for Scott Hall to find himself in the WWF doghouse. Um, despite reports he had previously overcome issues with drugs and alcohol, uh, he's said to have showed up to a event on the 11th of the month, made a complete spectacle of himself uh, in public in front of the uh, the boys in the back and, and sort of like people in the WWF and uh, where he had to be dragged back to his hotel room. Totally embarrassing management they had gone to bat for him. Um, in front of the locker room and pleaded his case among wrestlers who were pretty dead set, not only bringing him back, but also just Hogan and Nash as a, as a package deal. Um, it's, it's not been a popular move, this. Uh, to make matters worse, um, apparently there was a big confrontation between uh, Austin backstage with uh, Vince and Jim Ross um, as they were filling him in on his plans for WrestleMania and uh, a planned Austin versus Scott Hall match. Um, Austin was sort of told and brought in on it to sort of work with Hall to build the program and work together to get comfortable and start bringing ideas to the table. And Austin stormed out of the meeting, um, saying something to the effect of, why waste my time? He's not even going to be in the company by then. We all know it. So why are we starting something when we know it's going nowhere? Uh, apparently, Austin yeah, is hardly the only guy to have these sorts of feelings. Um, and uh, several wrestlers have apparently come through management's door to say that they don't want to work with Hall. Um, he even he gained some more heat on himself backstage for actually like um, sort of joke, jokes aside. I, I think this is quite a funny story. Like um, aside from the like this is far removed from sort of substance abuse. This is just sort of. A, a, a different end of the scale um hall hogan and uh nash showed up to do some some pr- production work uh, in la and recording vignettes and those sorts of things um this is the first time they'd been around the uh current crew um hogan and nash were said to be as expected very much going out of their way to be very nice to everyone uh, but Hall was slightly different. And the big story coming out from that is that he walked up to uh, the Dudleys and uh, said uh, something to the effect of, that's a great move that you two have in reference to the 3D. I can't wait to kick out of it, um, which I think is hilarious, uh, quite frankly, but um, hasn't gone down too well <laughs> behind the scenes with some of the the uh, people in the uh, WWF locker room or, or I, I suppose management again, having gone to bat for them and said that, oh, no, that they're going to be on their best behaviour, they're not going to ruffle any feathers. But it looks to be, uh, Dan, that um, while we'll cover the specifics of their sort of TV and pay-per-view debut later in the show, just it seems like it's a can of worms already, but just from a business move, what what do you make of this? We've got the NWO in the WWF. It does... It- it does sound like it's already a, a little bit of chaos. I, I, I think when Vince announced them on on TV last month, it was just supposed to be a, a sort of a, a, a kayfabe sort of a dose of poison. I don't think that, that necessarily that, that full on sort of dose of poison is is tr- sort of true backstage. I think yeah, and I think they are ruffling feathers though. Certainly, if if, if some of the top guys are not w- willing to work with them, or people don't want to work with them, and yeah, Scott Hall's already sort of acting up and stuff it's not 
not great. I, I feel like uh, Kevin Eskinaf is basically going to be sort of babysitting him almost in a way that he kind of did in in WWE and apologising for him, I guess, in that way. Maybe that's why he's kind of there. They're all sort of side by side because Kevin Eskinaf has to be side by side with Scott Hall just to keep an eye on him to a point. But, um, but yeah, interesting, interesting sort of developments to bring them bring them all in. And for, for quite sort of lengthy-ish deals, really, for guys that big to be in for, for two whole years, it'd be interesting to see what they do, sort of, or how long they're the NWO for and what they do, sort of, say, six months down the line or, or, or whatever. Yeah, it's um, interesting, really, um, considering um, where we were sort of in the, the wider business landscape, I, I mean, sort of the professional wrestling business at the time with well the start of um 2001 with three active big promotions in north america um to be not much more than 12 months removed from the demise of two of those you'd imagine that this would be a time where it like in a way is still party season you know like backstage it's like they they won you know um and they, they they've been able to bring in guys that they want to bring in and um there's there's no reason at this time as a company you shouldn't be able to cultivate a sort of pretty joyous um state of sort of backstage and locker room morale i would imagine like everything's going everything's gone to plan you know i don't think the invasion storyline did but it maybe went the only way it was ever going to go um but ultimately you guys won and to go from wrestlemania 17 last year now we're building towards 18 this year and we've got quite a disillusioned locker room i think that's quite a remarkable turnaround based on how uh things would have been like a year ago like i can't i can only imagine building up to that pay-per-view and coming out of it and how successful it was both commercially and critically um how have we ended up here and I, I think it's a ballsy move from vince to bring these three in i mean at the end of the day when you've got them available uh it, it's inevitable that at some stage like the nwo is one of the most significant parts of 90s wrestling um for good and bad reasons I, there's, I, I, there's no timeline where unless they're obviously under contract to a different promotion which isn't the case at the moment that this doesn't happen like it's in a in a it, it it's an inevitability that you're going to bring them in at some stage i just think it's risky now when it's caused so much backstage drama and and controversy and i'm not sure it's a risk that vince needed to take but maybe he was sort of hit, hit, hit the panic building towards wrestlemania it didn't feel as hot as last year it certainly isn't as hot as last year um didn't know where he was going with a number of people their contracts with sort of aol time warner came up and and in a way it's like an easy panic button and it's uh not well on screen an injection of a lethal dose of poison but it, at least sort of like from a business point of view it's an injection of drama to, and maybe that's the sort of thing they're looking for here it's certainly given the wrestlemania card uh more star power it hasn't given it 
more matches from an in-ring perspective that people will want to see i can imagine but it's it's difficult really i mean the the true barometer is like we're we're at the start of this and we're we're gonna have to wait a few months to see how wrestlemania plays out how uh, these two-year contracts play out whether they look like good investments how much uh the the nice guy facade of hogan and to a lesser extent nash is is kept up um and how well they integrate into that locker room and and also the behavior hall and that sort of wild card factor is really interesting to see how it's going to shake out well that's that's the that's the thing um you said sort of of kind of this time last year well 11 months ago there was a, a case of they've won the war um and they should be celebrating i think it in some respect, it's kind of more sort of relief that they're that their biggest competitors now sort of done. They're kind of relieved and sort of a big sort of sigh of relief. And maybe there's a bit of taking the foot off the gas by well by creative in a way that that's why the invasion angle probably was a bit flat because they weren't competing with anyone. And I think maybe it's part of the disillusionment in the locker room could be. I, I'm not getting this from anywhere at all. I haven't read anything to suggest this, but maybe it's sort of it's part of people kind of realizing that. There, as you say, uh, WWF is now the only show in town. So it's kind of if we don't work here, where do we work? So with other people coming into like like the NWO coming in um, and taking sort of spots and, and stuff, that people are going well. I'm I was on TV. Now I might not be on TV. Now what am I going to do? I can't just uh, ask for my release and then go to ECW or to WCW or, or somewhere else. There is no somewhere else at the minute. So maybe that's that's part of the reason as well. It's just being yeah. sort of now we're after that sort of honeymoon sort of period or that sort of adrenaline rush of X7 and and all that stuff of put, of sort of winning the war so to speak. And now we're at a point of going, okay, so now what? If I don't like it here, what do I do? So that could be factoring into it as well. And yeah, I agree with you what, with what you said about um, Vince's and the panic button. I think he he probably is fully aware of when people's contracts expire and stuff. I think he's probably speaking to, or they are speaking to various XWCW talent and just waiting, just seeing when it, when everyone expires. And then as soon as they do, he's picking up the phone. So it's just a case of waiting it out to people rather than sort of bringing people in sort of as and when it, it sort of fits and stuff. Like we can, we'll talk about it later, but bringing in Hogan for, for the, for the big match that he, he does have coming up at, I mean, it makes makes sense. I'm not sure where Hall and Ashley in that with that. I mean, you could, you could have it so you bring in Hogan, like yellow and red Hogan, to uh, to face um, a Rock, and then afterwards, as the fallout of that, then the outsiders come in and sort of try and convince Hogan to turn again. You could have done could do it that way instead. I don't know, but um, yeah, I think you're right though. I think it does. It's a case of Vince seeing that the invasion didn't really hit well with people. Or as well as he hoped with people um, last year. So now it's just a case of as soon as he can get someone, he'll try. Yeah, I think um, that's a really astute point about sort of like um, if we're not here, then where are we in terms of like the boys in the back and, and, and the options that professional wrestlers have in 2002. Um, and it's probably something we're going to see more of. Like, if you're not in Vince McMahon's good books, you're you're in trouble within North American professional wrestling to a large degree. Um, 
and yeah I, I think that might breed sort of like a I don't know a more not hostile but certainly a less friendly um atmosphere backstage um the longer that that continues um it'd be interesting to see um yeah like I say um how sort of these backstage relationships develop and and what effect that has on the quality of the product we get on our tv screens um longer term um but i mean they certainly made an impact across television and their their debut for the nwo was uh the uh no way out uh pay-per-view um which i suppose is the best place for us to start with our uh coverage of the on-screen product this month so uh dan would you kindly take us through the results of the pay-per-view yeah certainly uh so uh the uh, apa uh last eliminated billy and chuck in a tag team tournament match to determine the number one contenders for the wf tag team championship then uh rob van dam defeated goldust in a singles match Taz and Spike Dudley successfully defended their tag team titles against Booker T and Test. William Regal defended his Intercontinental Championship successfully in a brass knuckles on a pole match against Edge. The Rock defeated The Undertaker. Kurt Angle defeated Triple H to become the new number one contender for the WWF Championship for now. And uh, Chris Jericho defended his uh, undisputed WWF Championship successfully against Stone Cold Steve Austin. What did you make of this show? I, it was okay. It was it was fine. It um not not one to sort of wax lyrical about certainly um but also not one that you'll hear me complaining about through the rest of this review either. I think it was it was fine that there were some decent matches and throughout. No no one match really stood out as uh, a massive sort of highlight reel that I was. Re- recommend someone to sort of seek out if they can but neither would i sort of say that oh you have to absolutely avoid this match or avoid this pay-per-view it it was fine it was just okay i think it just felt a case of that we have to have this pay-per-view because we haven't had one yet in february and we got to get to mania so let's we're just scheduled to put a pay-per-view on so that's what we'll do and that's what it kind of felt like it it was fine if you're watching week to week like like we are then you'll watch the pay-per-view if if in a few years time you want to come back and sort of watch some pay-per-views you probably might not seek this one out because there's no real reason to i think it's fair to say yeah i i think my initial thoughts were that it was quite an underwhelming show but maybe it's a bit harsh for for like a b-level pay-per-view you know i think the idea that this was going to be the show the new world order were debuting on in the promotion maybe gave me sort of the idea that this was like a really big show and then when they turned up and sort of goofed around and and like we'll we'll get into the specifics of it but how they're used on this show i think was like a pretty large misstep in terms of bringing them in um one that they did their absolute best to rectify the following night on raw as we'll talk about um towards the end of the show um but on this night i thought I I don't I don't know that it was good really like the the pay-per-view was fine like you said I don't think there's any matches on this show that I'd say oh you have to go watch as a classic or or even like nothing necessarily great but certainly nothing bad or or something like uh, uh, offensive 
even you know um i thought it was a perfectly fine b-level pay-per-view that had really like a quite a significant um moment that was billed and i i thought it was sort of badly not badly done but because it wasn't like anything went wrong um i just think it was the wrong way to do it um for me the most entertaining thing the nwo did was uh just have the rock take the piss out of them in that like one minute backstage skit which i'm not sure was supposed to be the case but um yeah nothing stood out as must watch but certainly nothing um bad either so yeah sort of thumbs in the middle show yeah this show's gonna be remembered as the pay-per-view where the nwo turned up and i think that's probably all you can really sort of say about it in in all honesty you're not going to say oh this is the pay-per-view where this match happened or for either bad or good it's just going to be this is this was the one where the nwa appeared that's isn't it really i think so the uh, show starts with the NWO's music hitting and, and Hollywood Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall come to the ring wearing the classic NWO black and white attire. Uh, Nash gets on the mic. He says the fans have got them wrong and they're getting unnecessary heat from the boys in the back. They're not poison and they're not a cancer. They're just here to help the WWF and hopefully make it better. Hall says that they're just uh, looking to get some uh, autographs and maybe have a beer with the boys. Hogan gets on the mic. He gets a pretty big ovation from the crowd. He wants to make the WWF better too. He gets some heat for thanking Vince McMahon for bringing them in and tells Vince they will not let him down. He rounds off with a God bless America as an unconvinced JR tells us he doesn't buy the display of humility. Lawler berates JR convinced that the NWO have changed and uh, remind him that everyone does indeed have the capacity to change. So that was the opening to the show. That's the way the NWO were introduced to the WWF. What did you think? It it didn't feel right. It, it, it sort of, them coming in as sort of a, a humble sort of we're happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks to the people. Thanks to Vince type thing. It, it yeah. It, it didn't make a lot of sense. You if you go back to to ninety six, there's there's sort of supposed to be sort of unruly, sort of unlawful kind of badasses for lack of a better word sort of wielding baseball bats and all that stuff and yeah sort of now thinking about it I'm not really sure starting the pay-per-view with them made made a lot of sense I'd rather they could have had it done a sort of sort of a, a pay-per-view long storyline of when they're going to show up type thing like that we know they're here or we know they're in the area where when are they going to turn up and sort of everyone looking over their shoulders type thing much kind of like we see the next night on Raw when people are sort of a bit apprehensive about them but yeah, this this one was, was a bit was a bit odd. It didn't feel very NWO, if that makes sense. Yeah, the thing that strikes me about it is that when the NWO were formed and you had the Outsiders at first, and and then Hogan was revealed, and the, all the legendary stuff towards the beginning of that faction, um, they were cool, right? Like the Outsiders were really cool. It was cool that Hogan turned heel. Um, like it was it was they were a cool group undeniably within wrestling um and where it all went wrong is that the nwo wasn't cool anymore and we had things like the finger poke of doom and one swerve one bad comedy laden swerve too many and the cool factor virtually disappeared 
when you open with a segment like this and you have the NWO coming in and they're humble and uh, God bless America and God bless Vince and all, all everything we saw in this open, um, we all know there's a swerve coming. Like the NWO aren't here to be this. The NWO are going to be the NWO. So I think the last thing you should ever do to bring them in as a faction is like one sort of predictable, like bad, verging on comedic swerve, you know, where it's way over the top the other way, the stuff they're saying on the mic, the the faux humility and, and that sort of thing, to then completely undermine it later in the show, which which is the point, you know, when you get the turn, the closing angle on this pay-per-view that's but I, I don't think it's the right thing to do i think it's a complete misfire because they're just not it's it's not cool anymore you know like it's predictable it's shallow it's see-through um um i don't know if there's a way you could have debuted them with some kind of major angle on this pay-per-view like what we saw later on raw but I think that would have been a lot better in terms of the momentum um, right off the bat. But but I mean, we'll touch on it uh, after the after the pay-per-view review. But the next night on Raw, I think they more than sort of make amends. They they fix they fix things with the uh, sort of the size and uh, importance of that angle. But this was for me a mistake right off the bat. Um, we kick off the wrestling on the night with a tag team turmoil match. Uh, this uh, is to decide which team will get a tag title shot at WrestleMania. We start with Scotty Too Hotty and Albert taking on Lance Storm and Christian. Albert hits a gorilla press slam on Storm and then a, a giant swing on Christian. He follows up with an axe kick on Storm, but uh, Christian breaks the count. Storm and Christian team up on him, manage to knock him down with a leg lariat, but Albert is still too strong for two men. He eventually tags out to Scotty, who goes for the worm, but Christian blocks. He tries to do an inverted DDT. Scotty fights out and hits a super kick. Storm sends Scotty out of the ring. Albert comes in and tries to uh, throw both Storm and Christian, but they both dodge and clothesline him out of the ring with Storm falling out too. Scotty runs in. He hits a bulldog and goes for the worm. Uh, Storm interrupts with a super kick attempt, but Scotty catches the leg and knocks him down as Christian attacks from behind. He hits the unprettier. He gets the pin as Storm holds Albert back from breaking up the pin. So, uh, Christian and Storm advance. The Hardy boys are out next and they enter to a big pop from the crowd. They quickly get the better of Storm and Christian with Matt hitting a side effect uh, and on uh, Storm and a double team spin cycle on Christian. Matt looks to follow up with a second lo- rope leg drop, but Storm hits an enziguri from the apron to prevent this. Um, Storm gets a roll through single leg Boston Crab, but Jeff on Jeff, sorry, but Matt breaks it up. Matt goes for a twist of fate on Storm. Christian breaks that up. Uh, he holds uh, Matt, but Matt ducks as Storm hits Christian with a leg lariat. Matt hits the twist of fate on Storm, and Jeff follows with the Swanson bomb, which is enough for the win. The Dudleys are in next, and they're accompanied by Stacey Keebler. They run to the ring, but the Hardys get the better of them and hit poetry in motion on Bubba. Uh, they go uh, they go for it on Devon, but Bubba pulls Jeff's hair from the apron. Uh, Jeff takes a beat in until he eventually gets the hot tag uh, to Matt. 
We get a nice side effect Russian leg sweep combo from the Hardys on Bubba before Matt goes for a twist of fate. But Stacy runs in and grabs him by the hair. Lita comes in and tackles Stacy. Bubba hits a bubble bomb on Matt thanks to this distraction. Lita goes up top uh, and hits a diving Hurricanrana and a really nice one too on Bubba. Jeff hits a ridiculous swanton bomb from the turnbuckle to the outside uh, on a standing Bubba. Devon goes for an inverted DDT in the ring, but Matt rolls over into a schoolboy, which gets the pin. Uh, Devon isn't happy. He attacks Matt post-match, and the Dudleys deliver a 3D on Jeff on the outside before leaving. Billy and Chuck are our next team. They make their way to the ring in matching re- in their matching red outfits, and Chuck with his uh, bleach blonde pigtails. Uh, they attack Matt. Uh, with Jeff still out on the floor. Matt tries valiantly to fight them off, but is defeated with after a super kick fo- is followed by a fame answer from Billy. The acolytes rush to the ring, uh, and we have Bradshaw and Chuck slug it out. Bradshaw hits a fall away slam before tagging in Farouk and hitting a double shoulder block for the near fall. Uh, Billy runs in. He hits a net breaker on Farouk. Billy and Chuck manage to isolate him for a bit before Farouk fights back with a spine buster and gets the hot tag to Bradshaw. Bradshaw hits a big boot on Chuck and follows with some clotheslines before throwing him out of the rings. Uh, Billy tries to charge Bradshaw in the corner, but he, he dodges, follows up with the clotheslines from hell for the win, and the APA win the tag team turmoil match and earn themselves a shot at the WWF Championship at WrestleMania. Dan, what do you make of our opener? Yeah, I thought it was good. It's a good opener, a good sort of pace away through it. Didn't ever sort of feel too, too sluggish that some uh, tag matches can do. I think yeah, yeah, it went sort of just over 15 minutes or so, and which is not not too bad considering it was basically five tag matches back to back, which yeah, not too bad. Um, in my opinion, though, I think maybe a, a four corners match might have been better. I don't. Um, no offense to Scotty Toy, Albert, Christian, and Lance Storm, but if you just had the four sort of more uh, sort of um, well-known sort of tag teams in a four corners match. I think you could have got the same result out of it and be a bit more entertaining. I think a bit more, a bit better sort of pacing and have more sort of in and out and sort of a big sort of bit of a brawl sort of pie through that match would have livened the crowd up a bit more than than the sort of uh, stop start which this match can become. Even though as I said the pace was good. It, you have to talk at the stop start of each each sort of mini match and stuff. So um overall sort of, yeah, good way to sort of start a show, but possibly could have been a bit better if they'd sort of changed around a bit. Yeah, I, I'm completely with you. I think a four corners match would have been a bit better and having, yeah, like you say, the stop start the aspects where you've you've got like uh three or four uh sort of two to three minute matches um all put together uh, one after another rather than having just one uh, one long match, one long protracted match. Um, I think they, they did their best like with the stuff with the Dudleys taking out um, the Hardys and, and sort of they give you a hook for the next match just so you're not starting from scratch every time. But um, I certainly would have probably preferred the action between these teams if you were going to uh, ha- yeah change the format of it slightly. Um, that being said, it was a decent opener, some nice, uh, nice action throughout. Um, I was surprised that um, the APA got the win, really, just because I think if you were going to go for an established team, the Hardleys or the Dudleys are right there. And if you want an up and coming team, you've got 
Billy and Chuck, who, to my mind, um, there's more that you've got more with the crowd um, with those guys. But obviously, um, there's a long way between the, this this pay per view and WrestleMania, and we, like things will uh, change between now and then in the tag division in terms of uh, current champions or not. So um, maybe reading a bit too much into <laughs> into the uh, opener here. Uh, backstage, Michael Cole asks Ric Flair about the NWO's impact so far. Uh, Flair says that they've uh, turned the locker room upside down. He says that the wrestlers here won't buy their crap and is already a dressing room full of wrestlers who will teach the NWO a lesson in respect if they get out of line. The Undertaker rushes in and shoves Cole aside. Um, he questions when Flair became an authority on respect and Taker says that uh, Flair should worry less about who's keeping an eye on the NWO and more on who's keeping an eye on him. Our second match is the uh, bizarrely set up contest between Goldust and Rob Van Dam. RVD uh, gets in the ring second, but it's quickly closed lined out by Goldust, who then hits snake eyes on the apron. Uh, Goldust uh, brings it back into the ring. RVD springs up with a heel kick and hits a, uh, a rolling stand in Moonsault. Goldust rolls to the outside. He looks to leave, but eventually uh, convinces himself to return to the ring. They uh, brawl on the outside with RVD getting the upper hand and hitting a leg lariat uh, from the apron onto Goldust, who's laid across the barricade. RVD tries to bring it back in the ring, but Goldust hits a knee to the head. Uh, Goldust uh, takes charge and hits RVD with some stiff shots. He catapults RVD into the ropes, only to have him rebound and fall to his knees. Goldust continues to work over the back until RVD is able to spin and get his knees up. Uh, Goldust responds with a clothesline for a near fall. RVD comes back with a flurry after a near fall backslide. Uh, a thrust kick, a spinning heel kick and a monkey flip followed by another martial arts kick and a rolling wonder gets two for RVD. Goldust counters a whip off the ropes with a uh, drop throat strike but RVD immediately answers with a somersault leg drop. He goes for the five star frog splash but Goldust dodges and hits a DDT for a near fall. Goldust steps up a curtain call, but RVD flips over and hits a spinning heel kick for a near fall. Uh, we get a bit more back and forth before RVD hits another spinning heel kick and follows it up with a five-star frog splash for the win. What did you make of this one? I enjoyed this one. I thought, I thought it was good. Um, sort of coming into it, RVD, Goldust, Dustin Rose, I thought both these guys, uh, solid workers and uh, and not just solid, but also sort of pretty unique in, it, in each of their offences. And we got to see a bit of that from from both of them in this match, uh, with yeah some very sort of different types of moves and and, and stuff. Like yes, we've, got, we've seen a lot of what RVD sort of unique offense can be. But Goldust, I thought had some some pretty good moments in there too. It wasn't just an RVD sort of showcase in that respect. Um, but yeah, sort of kind of a surprising match. Surprising match. I mean, you could argue that did this need to be on pay per view? Um, could it just have been on? On TV because there wasn't really much of a build to it, but as as in terms of a a match with no build goes, I I, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, not too bad at all. Yeah, um, the idea of Goldust versus RVD sounds weird on paper, but this match just really clicked. Um, I thought Goldust looked in really good shape. He brought some good innovative offense of his own to the match. Uh, that was one of the things I noted down. RVD was obviously his uh, usual self, which is uh, innovative and fun to watch. And this 
they, they just clicked. I thought Goldust more than held his own. Um, the right guy won. Um, yeah, like you say, maybe it's not like a pay-per-view caliber match, but in terms of what they delivered, I was quite a big fan of this. I was um, caught off guard by it in a way in terms of it um, sort of, yeah, far exceeded my expectations because they, they just there weren't really any. I didn't think it was necessarily going to be bad. I just didn't really have much of the fo- of opinion on it and was no, exactly yeah beforehand i just like oh okay this is ha- this match is happening um that's interesting see how it goes and yeah nice nice sort of surprise some guys sometimes you just get two workers that just click and i feel like we've got a little bit of that here i'm not saying it's like yeah. a like i mean th- this wasn't like a five-star classic i just mean for 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 uh, however i'm not sure how long this match went but it 10 yeah. yeah, if that, but it, a lot of times you get like a sort of second match on the card on a B-level pay-per-view that goes 10 minutes and you're bored. But I don't think there was any of that here. I thought this was pretty good. Backstage, we see Stone Cold Steve Austin meet the NWO as he's walking down a hallway. They've got a gift for him, which is a six pack of beers, which Hall presents to Austin. Austin says he isn't thirsty, but they say he can save it for later. So Austin takes the beers and throws them over his shoulder. The NWO just allow Austin to pass through. Uh, more on that later. Our next match sees uh, Taz and Spike Dudley defend their WWF tag team titles against the uh, team of Test and Booker T. Tez works over uh, Taz with some punches and kicks. Taz comes back with, uh, Taz fights back with a back elbow and a running clothesline. Spike tags into the match and hits a missile drop kick on Test, but this is countered by a slam. Uh, Spike uh, gets a pin attempt on Test as Booker's distracting the ref, and so Test is able to break free with some punches. Uh, Booker tags in and hits a jumping kick on Spike. Test works over Spike with some punches and chokes him on the ropes before hitting two corner clotheslines. He hits a body slam, but uh, Spike avoids an elbow drop and uh, hits a headbutt to the ribs. He goes for the Dudley dog, but Test throws him onto the ropes and uh, leads to Spike bump into the floor as Booker sends Spike back in. Booker goes for the uh, scissor kick that... Uh, and then follows up with the spin of Rooney, but Taz breaks up the pin attempt. Uh, the fans kind of woke up to react to the spin of Rooney there, though. Spike uh, counters Booker with a DDT out of the corner. Taz uh, gets the tag. He's in and hits some clotheslines and a Northern Light suplex. He avoids a charge from Test and hits Booker with another clothesline. Uh, he sends Booker out of the ring. Um, Spike's in there and he runs in and hits a Dudley Dog on Test. Booker pulls Spike out of the ring and Spike sends Booker into the ring post. Uh, Test hits an elbow shot. Uh, so, Test hits an elbow shot, followed by a uh, pin, but he has his feet on the bottom rope, which the ref catches. Uh, the ref, um, Test then shoves the referee, who then shoves him back. Taz takes advantage of this distraction to slap on the Taz mission on Test, who quickly taps out just past the seven-minute mark. What did you make of this one? Uh, it was it was okay, yeah. Uh, the I kind of I enjoy the, uh, the big versus small small man sort of action sort of throughout this. Um, that being said, I thought Tess was probably a little bit sloppy at times. And in all honesty, I think Booker T is probably better than this. I know it's a tag team title match, and you should, I should think more of the the tag, the tag belts, and I, I do in a way. But yeah, Booker T just needs to be doing more, and hopefully we'll see him do more sort of in the next few few weeks leading up to, to Mania. Um, 
I do think though this was the first point in the pay-per-view where it did kind of fall fall a bit flat um, compared to especially compared to like the first two matches. I mean like, like we said not those first two matches weren't exactly sort of five star classics, but there's a good energy to them. This one did did sort of suffer a bit. I think it was just a, a little bit a little bit flat. I think that might be possibly because the t- the teams involved didn't have have much interest anymore. I think. Taz and Spike beating the the Dudleys for the for the belts was good, and that was a great to sort of end that feud. But then it was a case of what kind of what now for them? So yeah, a little bit a little bit flat, but but not too bad though. Yeah, I think this was probably the weakest match so far. But it was only seven minutes, and it it wasn't exactly bad. It was just like you say, flat is the is the correct word. The the crowd was really quiet for this one. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it was fine for a seven-minute match. It was more, I feel like I'm right with you in terms of like, I, I um, Taz and Spike, them winning the belts was a very endearing story, a very endearing team, but the, their story was that journey to winning the belts and, and beating the Dudleys. And then since then, the sort of the, the emotional investment, that side of things drops off quite significantly from there because they don't really have the equivalent level of emotion in in any of their follow-up feuds you know they're just what do you do next um and this was this was just okay it was just there a bit flat bit boring um but yeah not not offensively bad or anything like that but just um and not not to the level of some of the uh wwf tag title matches that we've had on pay-per-view over the last couple of years Moving on, we have the Intercontinental title being defended in a brass knuckles on a pole match with, with uh, William Regal defending that belt against Edge. Edge jumps Regal during the uh, pre-match pat-down, uh, which I immediately noted virtually ensured that Regal had a second pair of brass knuckles hidden somewhere. Uh, Edge goes up, but immediately gets pulled down. They take turns going after the brass knuckles before Regal locks in a rope-assisted abdominal stretch. Edge uh, throws him to the floor and goes up, but Regal shoves him all the way to the barricade. Uh, Regal gives him a butterfly bomb on the floor before back inside a second gets two. Regal goes up for the brass knuckles, but Edge crotches him. So Regal tries to powerbomb him to the floor. Uh, Edge counters with a attempt at Harakamrana, sort of. Um, Well, it was an attempt, most certainly, but uh, it did not look good. No, uh, re- so, it was it was a little bit a little bit scary. Could have gone a hell of a lot worse for them, but luckily it seemed, it sounds like nothing really sort of bad actually happened. It was just a bit clumsy and clunky. Yeah, yeah. I I made a note of the one by Lita in the uh, opening match, and this was the uh, other side of that. Um, yeah, really not a uh, a good spot at all. Regal then uh, recovers the uh, brass knuckles, but uh, Edge catches him with an electric chair to send them flying. Regal kicks them away further just to prevent Edge getting away, uh, get, getting to them. Sorry, Edge then gets uh, two off an Edgematic and hits a spear, but instead of going for the cover, he goes out and picks up the brass knuckles. At this time, Regal sneaks a second pair out of his tights, nails Edge with them, and retains the title after around ten minutes. What do you make of this icy title match? I thought it was quite good. I mean, I had a little bit of a WCW flashback when I it was announced that this was a a brass knuckles on a pole match, so I kind of get a bit scared about it being like the the something on a pole match as I've been 
I was used to sort of seeing a couple of years ago. But luckily, this wasn't this wasn't anywhere like that. I, I think they luckily sort of avoided cloning the pole sort of too often, and sort of kept, it wasn't like a constant focus on on that. There was just part of the match rather than being the only thing in the match. And yeah, both. I mean, Regal's as as good as ever. So you've got always good to get a Regal match in when you on when you're watching pay per views, and and it is pretty good too. To be fair, I mean, I think their their style sort of meshed up with. Um, Regal sort of ground sort of technical offense and edges sort of not sort of full on like a high fly type offense but definitely faster paced offense sort of matched up uh, quite well. But um, that being said, I think I think the feud's kind of done. I think I think this is a point now where Regal has to move on to to defend against someone else and Edge needs to find a, another feud as well. I think this match wasn't probably as good as their match at the Rumble, and but I think I think this is as far as it, it can go for those for the two as they are yeah i mean inherently there is something that is very wcw about an honor pole match you know i'm not a fan of the stipulation i think just yeah the idea you don't have to get the item down it's just supposed to be an advantage if you do um but i mean the, the obvious handicap of the stipulation aside this was this was pretty solid i thought edge look pretty aggressive and regal plays into the villain side of his character really well um i liked the finish it was like telegraph from that spot at the start like i mean like it's pro wrestling 101 um but i i mean it, it worked like just because something's you can see something coming or it's been foreshadowed doesn't mean like predictable doesn't inherently mean bad you know like it it it, it can also mean this is a logical story that's made sense and has been paid off. And I think that that, that was this match in a nutshell, you know, um, probably not the best of the three pay-per-view matches they've had against each other in consecutive months, like you say, but um, I quite enjoyed this as far as on a pole matches go, you know, um, that's a low bar. I appreciate, but <laughs> yes, this two, two good guys in, in there, two guys I'm a fan of. And I think, um, Again, there's a good chemistry there, um, and no no complaints really. I, I maybe I'm feeling a bit more positive about this show than I realised. <laughs> Next up, and we have the match between uh, the Undertaker and the Rock. Um, so some backstory here: after the uh, Rock mentioned how the Undertaker had been eliminated by Maven in a promo, uh, Taker took that badly. Uh, called out The Rock, feeling disrespected, and he uh, cost The Undertaker his match against Kurt Angle to decide who would face Triple H for the WrestleMania title shot. Uh, Rock um, would retaliate. Uh, they'd go back and forth some more. Rock uh, un- cost The Undertaker a hardcore title in a match against Maven, and then he hit a uh, tomb. Uh, the Undertaker would come back and hit a tombstone pile driver on top of the limo that had put Rock out for ten days in injure him so we have a match here based around uh, respect and uh, which ties into the undertaker's backstage promo earlier on the night rock runs to the ring and foregoes his uh, usual entrance lays in the shots on taker and hits a flying clothesline before taker fights back with a big boot and gets a near fall taker goes after the rock's injured neck he lays a knee across it and then a forearm the pace notably slows here with the undertaker just uh, yeah, the Undertaker beating down on the rock and routinely shutting down his comeback attempts. 
Rock manages to get Taker caught on the top rope and clotheslines him out of the ring. He throws Taker around the outside. Uh, he takes off the top of the Spanish announce table, but Taker then throws the Rock into the steps and straddles him across the barricade. They brawl into the crowd with Taker uh, taking the upper hand as he as they fight back towards the ring. Uh, he hits a leg drop on the back of the Rock's neck after laying him on the apron and continues the beatdown. He hits a running DDT for a near fall and is frustrated that he didn't get it done before locking the Rock in a bear hug. Eventually, Rocky fights out and goes on offense. Uh, he hits a DDT, nips up and hits a spine buster. Rock steps up for the people's elbow. The Undertaker just pops right back up gets a choke but rock kicks him in the groin with referee mike kirida right there doing absolutely nothing about it uh rock hits some more punches then taker comes back with a choke right into a choke slam for a two count he leaves the ring sits on his motorbike reaching for some object but he can't find it at one point he screams out mike so the referee would come and talk to him on the floor that leads to taker shoving uh, kirida into the steel steps he eventually grabs a lead pipe that was attached to the bike. And at this point, Ric Flair runs down to stop the Undertaker. Uh, Flair hits some chops and Taker no sells it. And it's a boot to the face. Rock then comes in, takes advantage and hits a spine buster before slapping on a sharpshooter as the referee gets back in the ring. At this point, Vince McMahon runs down. Uh, he distracts the referee. Rock flips Vince into the ring. Uh, Rock's punch Vince as... Uh, so Taker takes advantage of this distraction to hit a clothesline to the back of the rock. Taker picks up the rock for a tombstone, but then Flair gets back involved. He hits the Undertaker with the lead pipe with the referee checking on uh, injured Vince. Rock then hits a rock bottom on the Undertaker and pits up the win after around 17 minutes. What did you make of this one? Uh, kind of mixed, really. Um, I I enjoyed the, the sort of fast start from the rock, and that was, that was good. But And then... As you sort of mentioned, we kind of went from it being a, a, a rock match to an Undertaker match in terms of sort of slowing it down and being more deliberate and, and steady. And then I kind of lost a bit of sort of concentration in that because, yeah, I'd say it was a bit, it, not so, it wasn't, I think to say it was plodding was, would be a bit of a, a bit of a harsh uh, criticism of it. I think it was just a little bit more um, sort of methodical and as more as we're used to sort of now with, with The Undertaker, which is, it was fine, but yeah, it was a little bit sort of deliberate. But then they sort of slowly did build up again to to the sort of the finale of the match, and then with Flair coming out and Vince coming out, yes, it kind of made a bit of a sort of a, a screwy kind of finish, and with the interferences and, and stuff. But at least they sort of build up well to to both of the interferences sort of happening. And um, so yeah, I mean, in terms of like you have, you have the Rock versus Undertaker, you think. You have sort of certain expectations of, of what it's going to be and probably didn't live up to those expectations in all honesty but again not not completely sort of woeful in it in, in any by any means it was it was it was fine it was, it was it was good but but yeah could be could have been better i suppose but then i guess it was more about vince and flair almost than than anyone else unfortunately yeah i think that was one of my biggest problems with it like the drama with um Vincent Flair was was good, certainly entertaining, but it annoys me that at this stage of the game, The Rock is being basically used as a pawn for slightly more McMahon family drama. You know, that's what it felt like. Yeah. Um, and the, the the feud with Vincent Flair, um, I, I I don't know, I didn't enjoy this that much. I thought it was too long and a bit too slow. You, I did like you say The Rock coming out on fire. 
with a lot of pace and intensity to the start but then as soon as the undertaker got over it kind of sapped a lot of my energy i think that's fine to do but you you, you do need to build back up quicker i think 17 minutes was too long for this to go if you're just waiting for the the flair and vince um interference uh i just I just don't know. Like, I, I mean, I'm not the biggest Undertaker fan, nor nor am I certainly. I'm not his his biggest critic out of all of our contributors, uh, Rory. Uh, but um, this is pretty much why I don't think he's got the pace or intensity to keep me invested in matches that are this long on pay per view anymore. Um, and, and I think pretty much all of the reasons I liked this match fall back down to rock and all the reasons i didn't like it probably the undertaker um it wasn't like terrible the, like, the action was pretty good and like i said like if you're going to do like main event style pay-per-view like drama um no one does it better than vince mcmahon and we had some of it here but i, I just it, it all fell a bit flat for me the 10 minutes before then um but yeah i don't think it was like uh it's not like it certainly won't be on any like worst match of the year shortlists or anything like that for 2002. Moving on, and we have Kurt Angle versus Triple H in a number one contenders match with Stephanie McMahon as the special guest referee. So to go over the backstory here, um, Steph and Triple H have been going through a bit of a rough patch, to put it lightly. Um, Hunter said no to Steph's request of uh, publicly renewing their wedding vows. Stephanie then declared she was pregnant. Uh, going as far as getting an, an actor to pretend to be a doctor before uh, Linda revealed the uh, the ruse and uh, to Triple H he then uh, dumped her on the aisles they were set to renew their vows and ask for a divorce Vince understandably didn't take kindly to this treatment of daddy's little girl so put Triple H's Wrestlemania slot on the line and made Stephanie the guest referee for this match uh, the the match starts with a few quick roll-up attempts from Angle that Stephanie tries to fast count but doesn't get too far. Early on, Stephanie's taken out of the equation when Triple H ducks a clothesline and Stephanie gets knocked over the top rope to the floor. Referees come down and take Stephanie to the back. Referee Tim White uh, uh, comes into the ring to take over from Steph, counting a pin that Triple H has on Angle. Hunter smiles and waves as Stephanie's help to the back. Angle hits three German suplexes for a near fall and stomps on Hunter in the corner. The crowd got on his back with a big Angle sucks chant. Uh, Triple H makes a comeback, but Angle shuts him down with a series of overhead belly-to-belly suplexes, which gets some near falls. Angle puts Triple H in a sleeper, but Hunter backs uh, Angle uh, into a corner and then runs him into the opposite corner to get free. Uh, Angle... Lays shots in the corner and goes for 10 punches, but Triple H puts a powerbomb out of it. Triple H hits a running knee and a spine buster for a near fall, and then a knee smash that sends Angle into retreat. Triple H chases Angle and then deliberately knocks down Tim White from behind. He, Triple H then hits a neck breaker on Angle, but obviously there's no ref. Angle hits a low blow and an Angle slam. Uh, Stephanie runs back to the ring, but Triple H kicks out. Angle drops the straps and applies the ankle lock, but Hunter turns and kicks Angle backwards into Stephanie and knocks her down once more. Hunter hits a DDT, but again, we have no ref. He tries to revive Tim White, but Angle hits him from behind and sends Tim White out of the ring. Angle hits a German suplex, goes for a steel chair, but Triple H ducks it and hits a pedigree. He covers and Tim White manages to make it back to the ring, but Stephanie jumps in with an elbow, uh, 
holds his leg and hits a low blow. Triple H confronts Stephanie. He tries to hit a pedigree on her, but Angle hits him in the back with the chair and then again in the head. He follows up with an angle slam and Stephanie counts the three. Kurt Angle takes Triple H's WrestleMania spot. Also, it seems more on that later. What did you make of this one? Uh, well, uh, before this, I had a sort of couple of flashbacks basically regarding this match. First off, flashback to sort of the summer sort of time of 2000 with, with the feud with these that these two had, and including Stephanie and the good matches there. So expectations were this was going to be another sort of good match, and and it it, it kind of was. But also another sort of flashback to sort of the early 90s, and I've, I've just got written in my notes here, to uh, when watching their entrances to the Bulldog versus the Warlord, because both of these guys looked massive in terms of their muscle mass. Just just watching the entrances going, blimey, I didn't, I knew sort of Triple H came back at the Rumble and stuff, and he was pretty big then, but I completely sort of forgot that Kerrang was also pretty big in this match, so I thought these guys were but quite the size, but but they moved around the ring like they were perfectly fine, so they didn't sort of hamper them in any way at all. Like we see, like the like the Warlord or Warlord, these guys were much better in the ring than than either of those two, of course. And yeah, so really really enjoyed it, in all honesty, and um, kind of somewhat surprised by the result of the match as well, because usually when you have um, a heel sort of special guest referee, the face then finds a way to sort of overcome that, and then when we had the the Steph sort of taking a bump early on in the match. I thought, ah, that's the way they're going to do it. Steph will be taken out of the ring, out of the match early. Tim White comes in, and then now it's back to the normal match. Triple H will then get the win that way. Then Steph came back out again. So I thought, okay, well, they're going to, she's going to do it and take another bump, and she did. But then it's still sort of almost back and forth with which referee was it going to be in the end. And then for for Steph to be to still be the referee at the end, and for then Kurt to to get this, the, the screw win with the chair shots. It was kind of a sort of almost pleasant surprise because we've seen it with like the whole Austin McMahon uh, story and other times before with when whenever the um, deck stacked against the um, the face that they usually find a way to sort of overcome it and get through it. Especially with Triple H just only recently coming back and winning the Rumble, he was sort of on on a roll really. But no, kind of pleasantly, kind of not pleasantly surprised, just. Very sort of interesting, interesting that they went with Kirk taking the win. I mean, as you say, for now, as we'll talk about later, but but definitely interesting to go with that way as the finish for, for this match. Yeah, it did catch me off guard. Um, I think, um, I don't know, uh, I assume most people watching this, like myself, figured Triple H would be winning, you know, and they went for the swerve and had Angle win the match, and I, I think it really worked in terms of like. Uh, catching you off guard on the night. Um, the f- the fans were really into this. They really liked when Stephanie came back out to take over as the ref later in the match. And I think there was a lot of heat, you know, and it, I compare it to some of the the crowd atmosphere in our last match, the Undertaker match, and it's night and day, I think. Um, this was pretty good. I mean, we it's not news in February 2002 that, Kurt Angle and Triple H have good matches together, you know. Um, there's a lot of ref bumps and a lot of craziness at the end with multiple ref bumps and, and stuff, which maybe hurts the overall rating of this a little bit. But it was a really good match, and I think it had a good finish. Um, I think at this stage of the game, making you feel sorry for Hunter is like quite an achievement. <laughs> like we like 
judging by the last like however many, however many years and he's been towards the upper echelons of the WWF cards you know um yeah he's come back from seven months so only to lose this match in a cheap fashion I I think um that story works and they've they've obviously got to work harder with a guy like Triple H as a baby face to get the crowd on side than they ever would someone like Austin or The Rock in this spot but I think this was a successful attempt at doing that that's just a little bit of pain hey it's The Rock come on guys hey wow it's a people's jam I'm a bull hey, this is my son's favourite wrestler really hey how about a shot come on okay I'll take it I'll take it picture with The Rock yes sir for your son yeah no problem. Here's Matt. Okay, you guys get in here ready. All right, that's a good one. So much for the people's taste. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you just say? No, 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 no. Doesn't matter what you just said. See, you shouldn't have said that. Rocco's being a man, no problem. Picture for your son, no problem. Rocco, I'll tell you what you could do with that camera. You, Chico, Razor Ramon. You take that camera and shine it up real nice. And then what you do, you give it to your big buddy. Big Daddy Cool, Diesel. <laughs> you turn it sideways, and then you give it to him. Give it to Hogan. Hogan, you take that camera. It's already shined up. Turn sideways. Eat your vitamins. Say your prayers, and stick it straight up all your candy asses. So, uh, as you'll have just heard, um, I just played in the audio of a very entertaining backstage segment. Um, I'll take us through it now, but um, I feel it was too good not to uh, have um, dropped into the show. So we have the uh, rock with uh, some ice on the back of his neck and he's there talking to a trainer. Uh, The NWO show up and uh, Hogan tells the rock that he is his son's favorite wrestler before asking for a picture. The Rock obliges, as it is after all, for Hogan's kid. Hall takes the picture, and Hogan matters something so much for the people's taste. And The Rock hears this and takes offence. He tells the NWO to take the camera and shove it up their asses by making fun of uh, Hall and Nash's Razor Maroon and Diesel gimmicks, respectively. He uh, storms away, and Hogan looks on angrily. I mean, we spoke at the start of the show, Dan, about, like how having them not be the nwo not be cool like in my opinion uh, it, they just they didn't feel cool and like they, they this is partly why like like the rock is cool the nwo yeah. are, are, are not cool you know I, I think it's a misstep in terms of building the nwo up as like a a big deal in term, in the wwf but i i thought this was really funny it it was it was really funny uh, de- definitely but it was it was not the right sort of inter- interaction really to for to be having it as part of their sort of debut you can understand this if it was sort of they'd been there for they'd been in the bit in the wf4 a couple of months and they were they had like a dominating sort of period but then now sort of they're getting a point when people starting to beat them sort of more more frequently and now now this is rock and then taking the mick out of them saying how hey, you're not as big as you used to be type thing but this kind of yeah almost sort of undermined them sort of on day one which is surely not what they wanted to to, to go with or it's just sort of i don't know vince putting him in the place and saying that rock's able to sort of make fun of you already type thing i, I don't know but yeah, it, 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 outside of those sort of uh, thoughts about sort of what it means and all that stuff, the actual segment itself was was actually pretty funny. I did like it. 
So uh, after one of the more um, underwhelming video package by video packages by the WWF's lofty standards in this area, it's time for our main event of the pay-per-view with Chris Jericho defending the undisputed title against Stone Cold Steve Austin. Actually, um, I should say there was a, a line that I really did like from the video package, obviously taken from earlier TVs and stuff. But the the line of Austin said uh, he's a drug addict and his drug of choice is the WWF title when he needs it back. Just harking back to the Austin like that we all know and love. But 2001 was some of the best professional wrestling work I've ever seen on my screens. And that that line there um, very much gives me sort of well uh, reminds me of austin leading into wrestlemania 17 um which is like some of the best work we've ever seen from him um so that was yeah i like that that was worked into it the two men face off in the middle of the ring jericho flips austin off who responds in kind they tie up. Jericho hits a forearm before Austin turns and smiles. Austin gets Jericho in the corner and hits a series of chops before Austin rams Jericho's head repeatedly into the turnbuckle as fans chant what? Jericho hits a swinging neckbreaker to get to take back control. Uh, but And they end up outside and uh, are both brawling. Um, Austin keeps going back to some more chops. It's pretty relentless. And Jericho's chest at this stage is very red. Uh, Jer- Jericho dodges a charge from Austin, which sends him into the ring post, and the two men, two men brought up the ramp. Austin sends Jericho into one of the trailers that constitutes the ring entrance uh, before they head back to ringside. Back inside, Jericho goes up top but gets caught. Austin hits a superplex, followed by another in the opposite corner, and then a third. In desperation, Jericho grabs the ref. And puts um, puts him out of position and hits a low blow on Austin. So that's for those counting three low blow spots in the last three matches. Jericho takes control, uh, beats down on Austin. Uh, Austin fights back and then goes for a stunner, but Jericho catches the leg, tries for the walls, but Austin rolls out. Jericho uh, continues the beat down with some chops and knees in the corner. Austin fights out of a sleeper and delivers a spine buster. Uh, he looks to put Jericho in the walls, but ends up catapulting him into the top turnbuckle. Austin looks to follow up with a stunner, but is shoved into the ropes and comes back with a series of clotheslines. Jericho goes for a Lufez press on Austin, but he counters it in midair into a slam for a near fall. Jericho hits a modified bulldog and then two uh, line salts, one of which is at a really impressive distance across the ring. This gets a near fall. Austin goes for a Fez press of his own. Jericho counters into the walls and Austin eventually gets to the rope. Jericho goes for the title and brings it to the ring. Hebner tries to stop him, but Austin then attacks Jericho from behind. Hebner takes a bump, another ref bump on the show. Austin and Jericho fight it out, with Austin hitting a spinebuster on the title, but Jericho kicks out. Jericho then hits a breakdown onto the belt, but again, only gets two. Austin uh, goes for the walls of Jericho. uh, and this time he gets it and Jericho taps out, but there's no referee. Jericho tries attacking with the WWF title. Austin avoids that and hits the stunner. At this point, the NWO trio of Hogan, Hall and Nash uh, come after, come out to the ring and go after Austin. Austin knocks them down with punches, but then uh, Nash and Hogan jumped Austin while he's punching Hall. Hall hits a really shitty looking stunner on Austin and the NWO trio left. 
uh, leave. Jericho uh, brings referee Hebner back into the ring, covers Austin, wins the match and retains the title uh, after 21 minutes of action. What did you make of our main event? I thought it was I thought it was quite good. Yeah, not not too bad, not too bad at all. Um, I like I, I like the pairing. I, I think um, Jericho brings out uh, the sort of more technical sort of aspect of what Austin does or can still do, sort of post sort of neck injury. I think we're kind of accustomed to him having the sort of more brawling sort of style matches, but I think this time around we got got to see a bit more of his sort of classic sort of more technical side as is sort of Jericho's kind of style anyway. So I think they sort of matched up. Well, there. Um, I th- mentioned sort of the, the pace of different matches all, all through this uh, uh, show, but I think this this is a decent enough pace. I think it's sort of similar to sort of the Rock and uh, Undertaker, where they had a sort of a steady build, but it, I think it was done at a, a better pace. There was it wasn't as sort of as sort of slow as and deliberate as the Undertaker's sort of pace in the his match with the Rock. I think this was this was a sort of a bit quicker. And um, I think the finish was probably w- was going to be the only way it was ever going to ever really going to go, barring sort of Jericho getting DQ'd or or something along those lines to to keep the belt. I, I I didn't see Austin winning winning the title here in this one. I think that the way they booked Jericho is the sort of the, the the sort of cowardly heel who gets away with it and keeps his title no matter what. I think that. That's been sort of going for the past sort of, well since he won the title. So yeah, them carrying that on here makes makes sense. And yeah, with the with the NWO interest, I think it was only going to be a matter of time before they interfered in in a match. Despite sort of what you said about earlier, them having sort of a, a less than sort of stellar debut and sort of being a little bit of a sort of comedy act, they were eventually going to do something sort of heelish and what we're used to with the NWO. So yeah, not surprised that they got involved in, in this match at all um, to, to give the win to, to Jericho or to take out Austin more specifically. So yeah, not, not a bad match at, at all really. And I think, I think the finish was how it was always going to go. Yeah. It was a B level pay-per-view finish, wasn't it? Like yeah. um, it, it, it's leading to bigger things where, where one show away from well this is the show before wrestlemania we've got to end some stories and we've got to move on to some new ones and, and that's what this finish does um it, it what it doesn't do is give jericho like a another like a big decisive win here like and have him look really strong retaining his belt but that says more about chris jericho and sort of like how the company view him as a champion Sorry, that says less about Jericho and how they view him as a champion and more about um, the importance of Stone Cold Steve Austin in terms of, well, his WrestleMania match needs to be a marquee WrestleMania match and have some level of significance. Like, um, so that the the sort of enduring moment of this show at the end is nothing to do with um, having uh, the the undisputed title been retained by Jericho and set up in theory at this stage, Jericho versus angle for the title and everything to do with setting up Austin versus NWO for WrestleMania. Um, which, uh, I mean that, so again, comes down to star power and those sorts of things. Um, yeah, I, I like this. I, I think, um, I've much preferred the pacing in this compared to the, uh, undertaker rock match. Um, I've never seen Austin throw so many chops 
in a, in a single match in my life. <laughs> Jericho's chest uh, was sort of feeling the effects of that. Um, but I, I think for a B-level pay-per-view with a cheap finish, this is about as good as you're going to get um, at this stage in the game um, on a show sort of at this place in the calendar. So after that match was over, the NWO uh, in the ring, they continue attacking uh, Austin. Um, Hogan and Nash hit some more punches as Hoskin, Austin trips up Hall. Uh, then all three of them lay in some more punches and Hall hits a second stunner on Austin. And this one looks a bit better. Hogan brings in the cans of spray paint. They write NWO on Austin's back. The NWO theme song plays to end the show. The trio leave the ring with Austin down and JR screaming, and they walk to the back as the show goes off the air. So with that closing angle and closing sight, uh, Dan, over to you for your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10. Uh, yeah, so as we sort of said uh, at the start, before, before we started going through sort of match by match, like, this, was, uh, this was perfectly fine. This was a, a, a decent enough sort of pay-per-view. But uh, that being said, uh, nothing absolutely sort of stood out for me as 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 a kind of a wow, this is amazing. Or but then also nothing even stood out as a oh my god, please avoid, don't I want to see that again type thing. This, it was it was fine. It was there was good matches, good good sort of sort of pacing sort of throughout. I mean no, yeah the, the tag title match wasn't wasn't great. It's a bit a bit flat and the uh, Undertaker match went on a bit maybe a, bit, a little bit longer than it should have done. In all honesty, it was a little bit sort of slow at times, but then we had sort of uh, this kind of surprise with the RVD gold match, which was sort of yeah, it was unique offense throughout for both, and that was that was fine um, and pretty pretty good. Um, Regal Edge in terms of a on the pole match was as as you said earlier, probably one of the, the better ones that, that we've ever seen of one of those. Kurt Triple H always entertaining, and yeah. Even though the um, the finish for the world title match was to be expected, it still kind of was entertaining enough. So I really enjoyed it. I mean, I say if you're watching sort of week to week and want to sort of watch everything, then de- definitely watch this. You won't be sort of you won't feel sort of bad for, for watching it. But likewise, um, if you want to skip it, you don't you won't feel bad for skipping it either because I don't think you so you've missed missed too much that you can't sort of glean from catching up on uh, Raw the next sort of and SmackDown the next sort of week afterwards really. Score wise I've gone for a six. I say about average I think that's probably about fair. Yeah I think this was a B-level pay-per-view that delivered B-level pay-per-view stuff. Um, You'd think that on paper when you write down and look at matches such as Jericho Austin Angle Triple H and Rock Undertaker, there'd be like a, a potentially a great show here, but just a symptom of, I suppose, where we are in the calendar as much as anything. All three matches had cheap finishes, ref bumps, interference, weapons, and I just think they overdid it across the upper echelons of the card. Uh, three straight matches with ref bumps is too many for my mind, um, but I do understand why it's happening. Like that's that's not. Like that's just a criticism of this show in isolation. Um, like w- they want to keep people strong before big marquee WrestleMania matches. They don't want too many people taking uh, clean losses uh, that far out from uh, this close to WrestleMania. And I-, I get that, but 
I just think the cheap finishes and that sort of thing do this show more harm than good. But I understand, again, this show isn't isn't the priority. Uh, the other side of it is that I think if you're going to uh, have a show like this, that's kind of closing the chapter on a lot of storylines like um, Jericho and Austin, you'd imagine they'll be kept apart for a while now. Rock and Undertaker, certainly. Um, and, and to an extent, I know it's not how it plays out the next night, but uh, Angle and Triple H, um, in theory, because you, you've set up the Angle versus Jericho match, you, you can afford to have a couple of decisive finishes in there because these aren't storylines that you're going to keep going anymore. Um, and you, you're pivoting away from them and it'd be good to give them some form of conclusive conclusion. Um, but again, that isn't what happened largely de- down to um, this being the pay-per-view before WrestleMania and then looking to keep all of their top guys strong to make sure those marquee matches are as important as possible. In terms of a score, just a bit lower than you. I've gone for a five, but I think, yeah, 5.5 as an average between the two of us is pretty fair for this show. Yeah, definitely. Now, coming out of the pay-per-view, we have a very eventful episode of Raw to discuss the following night. Um, I'll go through two of the big angles and then we'll sort of break them down in unison. Um, we no- wasted no time getting started. Stone Cold Steve Austin kicks us off uh, live from Chicago obviously very pumped up immediately immediately grabs a cooler full of beer um takes it into the ring with a chair he tells us he's pissed off and retells the events of the previous evening at no way out and he calls the nwo down to the ring uh, the infamous trio eventually do come out and make their raw debuts he wants them to get in the ring but they huddle have a discussion and head backstage as Austin berates them. Austin sets up that chair and says that he'll sit there and drink beer all night until the three come back and confront him. Um, we go to for a, a commercial break and Raw returns and we have Austin still in the ring calling out the NWO until eventually Kurt Angle emerges uh, with probably half a dozen security guards. Angle tells us they're off-duty uh, policemen and uh, courtesy of uh, Vince McMahon who's not there tonight. He's a uh, there to order Austin to leave the ring because Angle's got an important announcement to make. Austin refuses and uh, throws beer at Angle. Uh, Angle and the guards march the way to the ringside and they uh, uh, order Austin to leave. Angle tells Austin eventually that he can stay for this announcement, which is that Angle will be going to WrestleMania and where he will become the undisputed champion. Austin doesn't take too kindly to this and jumps Angle, but takes down one of the off-duty cops in the process the uh men the, the guards uh, then jump austin and subdue him my angle says that stone cold's going to jail they shackle austin and force him out of the ring and up the entrance entrance ramp um while angle continues his taunting so that's austin wrapped up for the night later in the show hall and nash are uh, heading out looking to leave the arena uh, but Hogan says he's got to stay behind as he's got something personal to attend to. So we get Hulk Hogan come to the ring by himself. He says that it's great to be back in the Federation. He credited them for making him a legend and recalled taking on the likes of Andre the Giant with the help of the fans. But Hogan said something happened and the people turned on him and began taking him for granted. He'd always wanted to stay in the Federation, but suddenly the fans had no respect for him and drove him away. Just like the people in Chicago did with Michael Jordan. Uh, ever since he was driven out of the Federation, there's been something he's wanted to tell the fans. You can kiss my ass. 
Hogan says that uh, the, he's the reason everyone's there and he put the company on the map and he calls himself the biggest icon in the business. Nobody would go down being as big as Hollywood Hulk Hogan. He's the biggest star, past or present, and there would never be a bigger star. At this point, the Rock's music hit and we have the great one, March to the Ring. Rock says that many people thought they'd never see uh, Rock and Hogan um, in the same ring and we get some typical Rock shtick and uh, on the mic back and forth between the two rock eventually compliments hogan on for being an icon and one of the best ever before asking him if he'd like to headline one more wrestlemania with the rock the crowd loved that the arena fills with a mix of rocky and hogan chants rock says it's not up for him or hogan to decide and ask the crowd if they want to see them go one-on-one at wrestlemania and the people scream in unison rock cups his hand to his ear in old school hogan fashion and this gets more cheers from the crowd Hogan eventually stares the rock down and gives his answer. Yes. Hogan offered a handshake and risked the rock good luck because he'd need it. Rock holds on to the handshake, says not as much as you, brother, and without warning, lifts up Hogan into a rock bottom. Rock goes to leave. He reaches the top of the entrance ramp, but Scott Hall and Kevin Nash leap out and attack him. So they hadn't left after all. Another NWO swerve. Uh, Hogan... Um, whips off his leather belt and uh, begins whipping the rock with it. Uh, Hall hits a razor edge and Nash hits a powerbomb. Hogan gets a hammer from under the ring and nails Rock with it and follows up with a leg drop and Hall counts a pin. Uh, the NWO uh, then spray, date, spray paint Rock with the NWO logo and leave him laying. Rock's then loaded into the back of an ambulance which begins driving out of the arena. Uh, Truck then drives across the front of its path and Hogan, Hall and Nash jump out and begin uh, smashing into the ambulance with crowbars. They chain all the doors shut and Hogan returns to the driver's seat of the uh, truck. He backs it up about 60 yards and smashes it full speed into the ambulance with the rock trapped inside. All three men uh, get out and taunt the rock through the ambulance windows before leaving behind a crumpled ambulance and no doubt a badly injured rock. A very somber... uh, King and JR expressed disbelief at what they'd just witnessed and said the situation had gone way beyond professional wrestling. So uh, the biggest stars of the two of the biggest stars in the WWF, their direction for WrestleMania is very clear now. We're we're set up two head-on collisions with members of the NWO at WrestleMania. Uh, One roar in. I, I think this is like a complete 180. I know we had the, the angle at the end of the pay-per-view, but this is night and day compared to the treatment on the pay-per-view and, and how they were used here. What did you make of the way NWO made their presence felt on their first Raw? Yeah, this was much, much better, much more what I sort of was expecting from from yeah, from an NWO sort of debuting and sort of making their presence felt in in the WWF sort of very quickly um, attack, attacking the Rock the way they did sort of pretty sort of brutal. I was actually surprised sort of how how far they kind of went with it. And then yeah, their interactions with with Austin um, sort of yeah more sort of, sort of more more they you know didn't be act too much with Austin because it's just sort of a, a tease for what we see sort of later in the month and then where I, th- I think the following week then they, they were they actually attack out Austin more um but um but yeah this, this is this is much 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 better this is what this is what it kind of should have what 
almost should have been more of um, on the night before. I mean, if if they you could have had them sort of uh, not only to interfere in Austin's match at the end, but you could have had had them maybe even cost the rock rather than it being and have the, the Undertaker and Robin being a, a vehicle for the Undertaker and Flair, and as you say, sort of leaving the rock sort of as a bit of a, a pawn in, in their match at No Way Out, you, you, maybe you're, uh, NW could have gotten involved then instead. But the promo with uh, Hogan and Rock was, was 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 great, and yeah, the crowd were fully into it. As am I. I'm looking forward to to, to that match certainly. Um, and yeah, more more of this, please. I think hopefully we'll see see them do do more and be interested to see who else they sort of interact with in the next sort of few weeks and then what they do sort of post mainly if, it, if it's more like this then then yeah it, it could work yeah that i mean that's a a high level angle with the rocks like they went they went all in they didn't just lay him out and spray paint him you had all the backstage stuff it's like some of the more memorable raw angles backstage typically would have um involved austin or well Austin or Triple H or Rock over the last few years, but they've given the NWO one right off the bat. Um, and yeah, it's it's the way you need to heat them up as an incoming faction. You know, we're I know the NWO um, are much bigger stars at their peak in WCW than than pretty much any of the talent that we saw during the invasion. But we've seen how that played out. You know, um, it 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 didn't go well and um okay they're not here well i mean in a way um the nwo there's a lot of parallels there between sort of like vince says he's bringing them in to kill the wwf blah 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 well we're only a few months reviews removed from wcw being there to kill the wwf you know and you you need to make this notably different you need to have bigger impact right off the bat because if you're going to build wrestlemania matches about it i mean rock versus hogan sells itself don't get me wrong but if you're going to do that um you you don't want more of the same based on the invasion you know this isn't the invasion 2.0 it needs to be its own thing it needs to be different um and i think this angle goes a long way to making that the case you know that um I, i really enjoyed it i mean I, I think the the worst part of the NWO's sort of coming back was their their sort of goofy comedic strand through their um through their appearance on the pay per view and then everything since then I've been a big fan of. I thought this angle was great. I think they've done a number of really good things with them since. Um and like I say, um I I don't get me wrong, I'm I I am not looking forward to watching any of the three men wrestle in 2002. Um, like I, I could not care less about the in-ring work of Hulk Hogan at this stage in the game. Mm-hmm. But the Rock versus Hulk Hogan as a WrestleMania main event is just an enormous match that probably for many years people thought we'd never see. And it's like a, a cross-generation match and it's 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 a big deal. And it feels like a big deal. And I think that's largely down to high level angles like this. Um, you you could easily sell this match on just name alone, you know, and just have them one one week rocked as a promo, one week Hogan as a promo. And then the first physical interactions at the 
at WrestleMania itself, but they've they've not gone with that. They've gone with bigger, bolder, and in my mind, better. Uh, finally, another thing we should uh, touch on, as it does concern the WWF undisputed title and uh, its uh, fate for WrestleMania. On that episode of Raw, Ric Flair made another match between Triple H and Kurt Angle for the number one contendership, and this time Stephanie was banned from ringside. Um, later in that show, there's actually a really good backstage segment with Michael Carl asking Angle how he's feeling after the shocking scenes that took place, obviously uh, referencing the uh, the uh, angle with the rock and this the segment with the ambulance and that that sort of thing. And Angle just proceeds to only speak about how um, he agrees it's is a travesty that Flair made this match, <laughs> which I quite enjoyed. In that main event. Chris Jericho on commentary, and who could have guessed the finish? Triple H pins Kurt Angle following a pedigree and wins back his title shot for WrestleMania 18. So the, the title match is made. What did you make of that? Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's a good idea. I think uh, it's sort of good sort of the flair sort of showing still got some power despite sort of distraction to the undertaker, just making sure that, yeah, sort of saying things sort of right, righting the wrongs of, of the night before, I guess. Um, enjoyed the match. I think it was probably a, a touch better than the match we had the night before because we didn't have all the sort of referee kind of screwiness. Um, so, yeah, that, that was good. Uh, Jericho on commentary was even sort of good as well. I think sort of added a little bit to, to the match as well. There's some small interactions there, but again, nothing too, too sort of blatant until sort of after the a few weeks like the week after when when it's when it's set and then there's more interactions between Jericho and, and Triple H but the, that match itself uh, was yeah pretty good and yeah I think that's, that's obviously the right move Triple H is is the one with the momentum it makes sense for him to to be the one to go to Mania to face face Jericho not sure what this means for for Angle going forward I think uh, the week later, they, there's there's something to be building with Kane, so I'm guessing that's probably where they're going to go with it, with what Kurt Angle does at, at uh, Mania. But yeah, Triple H, Jericho at Mania for the title makes most sense. So yeah, glad they sort of rectified it. Yeah, it it, it feels like that. Like, I mean, it was always meant to be the title match at WrestleMania. It, it feels like the title match. Um, I. I I'm glad we we got there eventually, and I think they they really did put a lot of work into garnering as much sympathy and support for Triple H in this baby babyface role as yeah. as possible, really. Um, and this was kind of yeah, a, a, an example of that working greatly. And I agree with you. I thought this was a, that was a really good main event of Raw, and I uh, yeah I compared it favorably to the uh, match on the pay per view the night before as well. And uh, I suppose just to round off the show for the month, we are only a couple of weeks away from WrestleMania 18. Um, that show certainly, in my mind, has a lot to follow after WrestleMania 17 from last year. Um, in no particular order, here are some of the uh, top matches on the show. I've just got them listed down. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Scott Hall. The Undertaker versus Ric Flair. Triple H versus Chris Jericho and of course The Rock versus Hulk Hogan. When you look at those those matches laid out like that, any chance that this card can can, can meet the lofty heights of WrestleMania from 12 months ago? Um, that's a that's a that's a 
tough question. I, I think uh, last year's WrestleMania was was such a sort of wondrous show from top to bottom. I'm not not sure that uh, we'll we'll get that again. I think probably we've got a, a bigger you could argue a bigger match in Rock Hogan than yeah, as as big as and as, as monumental as Rock Hogan was last year. Rock Hogan is something pretty special, sort of it's it's dream match. Whereas Rock Austin was kind of it was a match that we always all wanted to see, but kind of knew it was going to it would it would happen. Whereas yeah, Rock Hogan, I don't think last year we would have been thinking this was this was going to happen. So I think that's that's the one match that would stand out above most of what you, you could put on. X7 in terms of sort of headline and marquee matches, but the rest of it, yeah, might be a struggle. You you could said there in no particular order, but I think that does kind of almost sound like the order in terms of in terms of the matches. You had like the Rock Hogan being the the final match, the match that closed to the show, and I I can't that doesn't that wouldn't surprise me if that is the case because they're the two biggest they're the two biggest names. No no offense to Jericho Triple H and Austin. Hall and, and, and so forth, but they are the two names. They are the, the guys who'll be on the the posters and all the merchandise. So seeing seeing the show ending with those two makes makes sense to me. And then yeah, you can I can sort of envision it with surely Rock. My prediction would be that surely Rock's going to win. Not Hogan's going to. I know we're used to sort of Hogan coming in and politics and getting his own way and. That doesn't work for me, brother, and him him going over. But surely Rock wins, gets you have all the sort of flashbulb moments going off, sort of, and then Hogan maybe a little bit sort of maybe a little bit sort of humble in that respect, sort of calling back to sort of Mania Six and sort of showing a bit of respect to the Rock like he did with the Warrior, and sort of saying, okay, fair enough, you beat me, and then maybe sort of next night Rock goes back to being classic sort of heal Hollywood Hogan then maybe attacks the rock again and they have a rematch who knows but yeah I think that's the way Mania goes with the rock sort of closing the show on, on top with Hogan sort of digitally walking back to back sort of after maybe a maybe a handshake or so but they're digitally walking back to sort of the the beaten sort of veteran in that respect yeah I, I think it's interesting because I think rock rock Hogan is a is a, a huge name match on paper, but I just I, I I'm not sure about it in ring, and that that obviously all falls at the yes, door of Hulk Hogan, sure. you know. Um, it's it's really interesting because like I thought X7 was probably the best pay per view I've ever seen, mm, and near sure. near perfect, and like this is the next one, and it's like the, the sequels are hard, like they're very hard to do, and I think. The the thing that made that pay per view stand out the most to me is the is the variety we had like the best possible examples of almost every type of match. If you if you want like the 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 best example of WWF style main event title match, you had it in Rock Austin. If you if you want like crazy chaotic mayhem car crash of a match, well we've got TLC. If you want like technical wrestling, we've got Angle and Benoit. If you want um like peak sports entertainment and just like crazy drama driven wrestling you had Shane versus Vince and everything on that show just hit 
probably with the exception of the uh, China Ivory match, which which fell a bit flat maybe on the night. But um, aside from that, it's like a near perfect show. And I just don't see that that level of like variety um, that could yeah yeah that that can deliver in the same way. I'm not yeah, saying mean, yeah. Um, it, it's it's not that variety is a prerequisite to a, a great pay per view. Certainly not. But I just I just look at these matches and I'm like, okay, well, Taker v Flair might be a struggle. Austin v Hall might be a struggle. <laughs> Triple H yeah. v Jericho could be very good. Rock v Hogan might be a struggle. And I just think there's some seriously big marquee matches on this one, but I just don't know that how how each of them can deliver. And and it will only take one or two of them to to fall below expectations in terms of Rock v Hogan feels huge, but it does need to deliver something on the night and whether that like that will obviously be more sort of like drama based. Like I almost feel like this show would be better served if you were going to do Rick, Rick Flair versus Vince McMahon, like that sort of thing. Like, yeah, not, not, <laughs> I mean, I'm talking not, about not in terms of quality. I know what you mean, but it, it, that's where Flair needs to be. Um, but, and then what do you do with the Undertaker? That's another question for another time, yes. another time I guess. But, um, do you know what yeah, I, I do with the Undertaker? It doesn't make sense necessarily storyline wise, no. but I just give Kurt Angle a win over him, something like that. You know, like like I, I feel yeah. I feel I feel for poor Kurt. Like he, he's been so excellent the last few years, and it feels like it gets to WrestleMania and he's just kind of cut out of all these marquee yeah, matches, um, that sort of thing. Um, but, As you mentioned about the the variety of of last year, going to, sort of looking down sort of further down the card, sort of other matches. There's not going to be much variety, really, is there? I mean, you've got a, a, a tag title match, which would be fine. Um, other title matches, which again are probably going to be sort of standard sort of one-on-one matches. There's not going to, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, unless some of them might, might be triple threats or or four corners or whatever. I don't, I, I don't really know. But even so, they're not going to be sort of super sort of stellar standout matches i can't um, i can't imagine to the extent of what we had sort of let's say the year before i mean like i said there's no tlc match i mean not that a tlc is an instant sort of guarantee of success or anything like that which depends on who's in it but um yeah it's going to be it it we do well to get, get close to XN, I think it's, it's, it's fair to say. I think if it, if it gets close to it, then it's done well. I don't, I, yeah, it equaling or bettering, that's gonna, that's not gonna, I don't think gonna happen, unfortunately. But no, we, we shall see. Yeah, I mean, they're incredibly high standards. I, I think, like, yes, it, it, no matter what the card is, I think if you're if you if the mindset is is this going to be as good as last year, then I don't think you're going to be very happy in its own right. This could deliver something, I just, I think. It was last year fresh in my mind and when I look at the card on paper the atmosphere of sort of weariness and, and anxiousness that is in the WWF locker room at the moment, that's kind of how I feel um, that's reflected back at me so there we go but I think that nicely will sum up and, and bring to a close our coverage for February 2002 so um, 
Dan, thanks so much for being on the show. I always really value your uh, contribution and great analysis. So uh, thank you very much for delivering it a second time this month. Not a problem. Thank you very much for, for bringing me on board. Much appreciated. Always good to to do these. Again, having a, having a look at sort of this sort of time period is always interesting. So, yeah, thanks for, thanks for bringing me back. Yeah, and uh, thank you for sticking with us. Well, uh, I mean, this show is slightly delayed, um, but thanks for sticking with us. Normal service should be resumed moving forward, and we'll have, um, I think, believe the next show will will indeed be the the WrestleMania uh, 18 review. Um, so keep your eyes peeled for that one. But until then, I've been your host, Chris White. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>